This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am here with my good buddy, D. Graves, and today we are going track by track through Duran Duran's Rio album. D, I noticed you've got your cream-colored suits on. You got, we got the tropical thing. Our good guest here, Melissa Mingle, she's got the uh, the cherry ice cream lipstick on <laughs> and her Duran Duran t-shirt. We are ready to go. D, how you doing today? I'm grand. <laughs> I'm Rio grand. <laughs> <laughs> Today we've got a special guest with us, Miss Melissa Mingle. Melissa, you are a huge Duran Duran fan and you are here huge. diving in with us, Rio Track by Track. Yes, How are you doing? I am doing so well. Thank you for letting me horn in. I'm not sure how many times I invited myself <laughs> to join your podcast, but you guys, I know for me and a lot of buddies that listen, you guys give us a lot of laughs, a lot of nostalgia. It's just such a fun break from life. Fantastic. I'm just sitting here. I'm marveling over. She's got a book. I with, have a book with tabs. It's it's <laughs> Rio by Annie Zaleski, and it's thirty three and a third, and it looks fantastic. This it is-, is fantastic. The thirty three and a third is a series, and they have a bunch of albums. And yes, I found this little jewel. I work for a publisher. So I got to have a book. I have my Leslie note binder with song lyrics and notes and so many sticky tabs. You are ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got people's last names written on my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's the easy one, right? Okay, well, today we're diving into the album Rio. This was released May 10th in 1982. we were talking beforehand, it's kind of funny because it was released in Britain in May of 82. Yes. But some of the singles were even released as late as 1985. Yeah. As a kid, I just, you see something on MTV and listen to it and think it was cool. But even as I was backtracking and looking at the timeline of things, some of the songs from Rio were written before songs on their original album. Dee, what are your memories of this one? I was six. So it's like all just a mishmash (laughs) of stuff. That's adorable. I I mean, literally. So you remember when we first started talking about them, I'm like, were they somehow related? to Australia in some way and you're like I don't think so I think they're just British so the summer after I was in second grade I can remember that they were all over the news when I went to Australia with my family we went on a vacation down there and they were all over the news and I at that age associated them with that country after doing the study I'm like oh it's because they were the biggest hit in Australia. Like they were bigger in Australia than the UK, than the US, mm-hmm. anywhere. And they were about to come back. They were about to come back in that year in 1983 in November. And so basically the Australian press was like, we have to get ready because it's going to happen again because the crowd went nuts when they showed up down there. And so that's my big memory of the band. And then, of course, watching all the videos on MTV. So I want to talk a little bit about the MTV impact When Duran Duran came out in 1981 with the girls on film and all that stuff, MTV was in its infancy. So August of 81, MTV goes live. Remember the campaign, I Want My MTV? Of course, yeah. So the interesting thing to me, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, okay? Tulsa, Oklahoma was one of the pilot cities for MTV. So I had my MTV. Yeah. But the interesting thing to me is that the executives from MTV needed some tangible evidence to bring to record producers and artists and say, hey, listen, where we are, you are selling records. And one of those places that they went was Tulsa. They went to a record store. I think I told you my go-to record store was Peaches Mm -hmm. in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the places that they went. And they talked to the guy and they're like, what What are you selling right now? He's like, we have sold three boxes of Duran Duran today. And they're like, literally, that is one of the only places in America that was moving Duran Duran. And so they were jumping for joy that they could go back and then say, wherever MTV is, we're selling your stuff. They even, in Tulsa, they could divide it by the street. Like if one side of the street had MTV and the other side of the street didn't have MTV, they could say, and it was with Duran Duran. 
The guys that had MTV knew who Duran Duran was, and the guys on the other side of the street did not know who they were. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Oklahoma City. I remember if friends had MTV first before we did, and I think that's where I first saw Hungry Like the Wolf. That's what became popular first, and it was just love at first sight. As soon as we got MTV, my parents almost got rid of it because we loved it a little too much. (laughs) You know, you couldn't... This is before we even had a VCR a couple years before that. So you had to sit and wait for those videos. And if a whole hour went by and they didn't play Duran Duran, or you saw one that you'd already seen and you're waiting for another one. I mean, you had to, I can't go to the dinner table. I <laughs> right. I haven't seen Hungry Like the Wolf yet. I think it's funny that the parents almost got rid of it. I can, you saying that makes me remember my dad used to threaten to throw the TV into the pond. I'm just yeah. going to throw that thing in the pond. Yeah, we cried and cried and cried. And my dad finally said, all right. So Rio has nine songs, four singles, six videos. They're one of the first bands to entirely embrace the MTV music video. I mean, on top of having great songs, that really propelled them to the top. Before we jump into it track by track, can we talk about the album cover a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. Uh, yes, please. Okay. So I'm going to say what I know, which is that The Lady, which is one of the most distinctive album covers ever, yeah, right? for sure. Right. It's by an artist named Patrick Nagel. Yes. And it's this lady is one of the Nagel women. He was famous for doing perfect women inside Playboy magazines with a very, you know, it's, a, it's like an art deco style almost. On these women, they were very tall and then obviously very contrasty, sharp lines, and it is... Perfect. I think it still stands the test of time. When my husband and I were newly married in 1994, we had a Patrick Nagel, studied French in college, but one with the Eiffel Tower. I just love that Patrick Nagel style, but something about the black and white with pops of color. You look at the image of the woman and just long, gorgeous hair. That could still be something that would look cool today. So Nick Rhodes said, I think she has aged rather beautifully. Like the Mona Lisa of the 1980s. Yes. That is awesome. We talked about in our last episode that they were part of the new romanticism movement, which was this combination of like glam rock style and the 18th and 19th century, roughly, you think Adam Ant, and that's it, right? And they had done that for a bit, but they traded that in for what would be the Miami Vice look by the time we get Rio. And it was. It was a branding style choice that was a part of their whole identity. If you missed our episode on the history of Duran Duran, go back last week, listen to that before we dive in track by track today. I want to say this up front. This album reached number six in the U.S. on March 12, 1983. Only number six. So I wanted to go over the five (laughs) better selling albums, okay? Okay. All right. I love it when you do this. Okay. So to me, this is interesting. So actually, I want to make mentioned number 10 because that's pyromania that week in march of 1983 wow. and we've covered this one we actually that's fair. go back and yeah. listen to this one track by track yep. love pyromania hey guys who were neighbors really okay. yeah, yeah that's right birmingham and sheffield not too far apart cut from the same mold really yeah, yeah. number eight was toto four this week oh how funny. wow <laughs> okay number six was lionel richie this the album that steve lukather played on can't oh. slow down right yeah Number six was Rio. Five was The Distance by Bob Seger. Four was Business As Usual by Men at Work. Uh-huh. Three was H2O by Hall & Oates. Two was Frontiers by Journey, which we've done a track by track on that one. Yep. And number one, of course, was Thriller by Michael Jackson. We have done a track by track on that one as well. That was our very first episode. Yes. Before we jump in track by track, I think it is important to note that there are two distinct Rio albums. There is the UK version that originally came out, and there is the US version, which was remixed and remastered because when it came to the US, unless you had MTV, it wasn't doing well. What they did, EMI is who they recorded with, and their branch in the US is Capitol Records. Capitol Records had a guy named David Kirschenbaum, and he remixed a couple of their songs 
Hungry Like a Wolf, and Rio, and released it on on an EP called Carnival. And they were dance mixes. Yeah. And that became so popular that they're like, well, let's just remix the entire album. And so he remixed the entire album, and that's how you get the U.S. version. And they started promoting them as a dance band and a dance album, as opposed to this new romanticism thing, and they started climbing the charts. John Taylor's comment on Rio, I thought this was great, in his 2012 memoir. He said, every one of us is performing at the absolute peak of our talents. There is no showboating. Every part is thoughtful, considered part of a greater whole. This is their magnum opus. One thing I think is really cool that Nick Rhodes said about the band, I think that all of us would say that the Rio album was what set us on our trajectory for not only the next decade, but really for the rest of our careers. Okay, so here we go. First song in the album, the title track, Rio. Okay, so you start off with this arpeggio-style synth keyboard, which defines Duran Duran and basically defines the sound of the 80s. I mean, it's awesome. And then you get the quick drum beat, which obviously that's part of the remix, but then you get that solid guitar coming in, at which then smooth, when they go into the chorus, smooths into a melodious lead. I love it. I love every part of this song. It's fantastic. You were telling me about the sound even before the arpeggio. Yeah, I had no idea. Nick Rhodes said that he was in Manchester, I believe, in that recording studio, and they had this big grand piano, and he just took metal rods and started dropping them on the strings of the piano, and I'm thinking, whose piano is that that you're just, like, (laughs) taking their grand piano? And kind of recorded that, liked the sound, but it wasn't really quite what he wanted, so they reversed it, and that's kind of that little noise. That that hum at the beginning, yeah. So it was released in November 82 in the UK. In the UK, yeah. Yeah, it had already been released in August in Australia because they were doing so well over there. And then it wasn't until March of 83 that it really hit in the u.s before we talk about the video when they wrote this song john was actually the one who came up with the idea of rio as this hedonistic exotic cornucopia of earthly delights a party that would never stop and it was really about the city rio and simon's the one who changed it let's let's change it to a girl Going back to before Simon LeBron was even the lead singer, there was a guy named Andy Wickett. And I think he kind of tried to jump in there and say, hey, hey, you know, I had some influence with Rio, but it was a different title, different lyrics. It evolved so much, even with Duran Duran. It's like, okay, you're kind of grasping it straws there. That song was called See Me, Repeat Me. And wasn't there even another name besides that? The Amy Agogo. Yeah, so it's like, okay, buddy, I, you know, you knew <laughs> the guys and you work together, but yeah, I, I love that Simon LeBon, after the first tour, they used some U.S. type from Mountains in the North down to the Rio Grande. Putting it's a Americans metaphor for America, there. yeah. So I love that about it because... I so desperately wanted to be British, and who knew that they thought we were kind of cool, too. So, yeah. I love the okay, buddy. Just to get your wicket. (laughs) (laughs) So, you were telling me what a cherry ice cream smile was, Melissa. Jason, Jason, Jason. They have a running theme of uh, some type cherry ice cream smile. Uh, Girls on film is lipstick cherry all over the lens. And their new album, Future Past, which is very good. I have like three or four songs I love from it already. But talk about cherry ice. And yeah, I don't think their choice in fruit is accidental. We'll say that it (laughs) represents maybe a young, vibrant woman. Okay, just want to throw out there, there's a saxophone on this one. The saxophone is Andy Hamilton, 
who you will have heard if you've listened to Wham or if you've listened to Elton John. Which we have. We have. Of course. Of course we have. The girl laughing in the song is Nick Rhodes' girlfriend, who actually laughs at the beginning of Hungry Like the Wolf. I saw him talking about this in an interview, and I thought, you know, would he take her in and just try make her laugh? He didn't tell her he was going to do it. He just kind of started tickling her and getting her to laugh. He said she had a really great laugh. That's good. We've had a couple of albums now where there's some interesting noises that they're generating in the... <laughs> yes! This one from Tickling. Yes, we'll just say yes. All right, so are we ready to talk about the video? Let's talk about the video. Okay. So John Taylor says when they were done touring the Rio album in May of 82, they all took a vacation together. He said it was like the movie Help from the Beatles. It was like <laughs> they all stayed in the same condos. Every morning they'd get up, walk outside. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh-huh. So they all had a great time. Andy went back to Britain to be with his fiance. MTV loved their other videos so much. They had sent back the Sri Lanka videos. Yeah. And Russell McKay said, stay in Antigua. We're coming down to shoot another video don't move. We'll be there. We're grabbing Andy and we'll be there shortly. Right. Which I think is interesting. When Andy got on the airplane, he noticed this very pretty model type. Turns out that was the half Lebanese English model who would then be Rio in the video. The oh, one that they nice. painted up. How and all funny. That. I didn't That's know awesome. that. He noticed her on the airplane. Had she already gotten the job or did she get the job because he noticed her? <laughs> she already had the job. Oh, okay. She already right. had nice. the job. So what do you guys think about the video? Okay, he can't make a bad video, man. The guy's awesome. He really is. Yeah. This is the same director who did Highlander. Yeah. He was the one who had done Razorback in Australia. That's correct? right. That's and, right. And that's how he had gotten the job. But I'm, I'm guessing had it not been for Duran Duran, we would not have the movie Highlander. I think you're probably right about that. One of the Burrow brothers wanted to go yachting, and so he told Russell McKay, and so Russell McKay's like, well, fine, I'll just make a script where we're yachting. There are no rules to videos. <laughs> so let's talk about the tropical colored suits that they got on the yachts. They had bought those suits, anticipating shooting a video in Britain. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what they just drug them all down to Antigua, and then there they are on the boat, yachting and... Dancing in the same Looking... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> in really when they weren't suits in their suits, they were cooling off wearing Speedos, Speedos yeah. Speedos, Banana hammocks. Yes. <laughs> you know what, though? Like, I have a friend that was in France, and like he was forbidden from wearing what we call a swimsuit because they looked like shorts at a public pool because those are Speedos or bathing suits and they think you're wearing just regular clothes. So I don't know, man. But yeah, they're big on the banana You're swimming in your clothes. How dare you wear shorts? (laughs) Put on something smaller. This is funny about the Rio video that I did not know, but they had different ideas for it where the band members get chased off the island and people wielding guns and all this stuff. And they actually didn't have enough film stock left to shoot it. And even for John Taylor playing the saxophone, they borrowed a tourist camera for that. How cool is that? Nick Rhodes was getting seasick while they were filming all of these things. Right. Which is interesting because he meets his future wife at a yacht club. But what he said is, I don't like boats unless they're tied up and you're having cocktails on them. (laughs) But the rest of the guys who were not seasick, including Russell Mulcahy, were all out there swimming and a boat captain comes and yells at him. He's like, get out of the water, there's sharks. And actually in the music video, you can see John Taylor pushes in Roger Taylor. Like that was totally unscripted. He was just standing too close to the edge. And what do 22 year olds do? Yeah. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. (laughs) And he got in big trouble with like the captain was like, you don't understand. You don't screw around on boats. People die and drown and all this stuff. And they just thought it was funny, really? you know. Sorry, yeah. sir. <laughs> Sorry, he was standing close to the edge and I was right there. And I was 22. Yeah. <laughs> that boat is called the Eileen. Come on. Come on. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. And it fell into terrible disrepair after the video. And then they spent two and a half years restoring it. And now I saw an updated picture and she looks beautiful. The, the funny thing, too, is that they make it look easy. It was something for me as a little 13-year-old 
girl that's starting to realize, okay, this isn't elementary school anymore, and some girls are taller and prettier, and my haircut looks like a mushroom on my head. <laughs> so it was this great escape, almost therapy, just to go in my little room in my safe house with my family, you know, and kind of escape and think about traveling and having adventures like that someday. Which one of these guys were you going to marry? John Taylor. <laughs> yeah. You didn't absolutely. even think about that. Every guy in the band was good looking enough that he could have been the favorite of the band. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so now we're moving on to the second song on the album. This song is called My Own Way. Okay, what is really interesting to me, I love what we're listening to right now, but it's not the original version. Yeah, the original version is much more disco. Like, this song was released as a single before the album was done. It came out after Girls on Film. This was not a this was not a single that came from Rio. This is a single that came as a we gotta keep the momentum going. For sure. And so it's an entirely different it's got like strings and disco sound and this is much more new wave. It's it's cool. I like it. I like our version very much, but the band didn't they did not like the song. Yeah, it's interesting. They don't put this on any of their compilation albums. This was released in nineteen eighty one. Yep. Before Rio was even recorded, which when you're hot, you got to strike while the iron's hot. I've got a song, guys. Okay, throw it out there, make a video, and we'll worry about putting it on an album after that. Right. And they, for not supposedly not liking the song that much and not liking to perform it, it's funny that the remastered 2009 uh, Rio, like two CD album, there's like six versions. So if you're ever in the car and like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) play Rio, it's like, it's hard. What's wrong? It's my own way again. And so I really barely remember sometimes the original version because I've heard so many remixes of it. It's all right. It's a little bouncy. It's it's good. It's probably not my favorite, but I don't dislike it. Yeah. Roger Taylor refers to this song as the quote unquote problem child of the album. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. See, I like it. I I like it too. It's It's bouncy. It's positive. It's fun. It's upbeat. I do prefer the American version much better. Sure. I kind of love disco, I have to say. I do too. And you know, when John Taylor and Nick Rhodes got together and like, hey, let's start a band and get other people in it. Two other driving forces were Sex Pistols and Chic. And Chic was very disco. Very disco. Studio 54. So that's that's some of their background, and I, I kind of love a little disco, so I, I don't mind either version. Do you guys remember the video to this? I had to look it up, actually, because back in the day, you had to wait for videos to come on, and I really don't remember this getting much play. So, yeah, I love that you can look everything up on YouTube now, but you know who's in it, right? The Matador? Yes. Anybody yes. know? That blew my Ans- mind. Who is it? Answer if you know. Adrian Paul. Yes. Which is important because the director is Russell Mulcahy. And who is Adrian Paul? He plays Duncan McLeod in the TV show Highlander. Right. Yes. When did that series come out? 90s? Had to be 90s, right? Yeah, 90s. So, like, this video was filmed in a studio in 81-ish. Yeah. By Russell Mulcahy. Russell Mulcahy, six years later, makes Highlander. Yep. Another probably six years after that, they come out with the series starring the guy who was in the video that was one of Russell Mulcahy's very first videos. He shot it on 35mm. This is a on-film video, not on a video video. Starting a trend. Yeah. This could have so easily been a video of somebody that's a flash in the pan you never hear from them again. Oh, yeah, back in the early 80s. Sure. I was in this video while I'll show my kids, but that probably really did help him in the future. That Absolutely. The other songs, fortunately, and videos were more successful, but yeah. Parts of this video are shown in the Is There Something I Should Know video. Oh, yeah. So what judgment on this one? This is just kind of... I like yeah. it. I like it. This like is, it. honestly, of the songs on the album, this is one I like better. I, it's not my favorite, but I like it better than some of the others. Okay, cool. Moving on to the third song on the album, this is called Lonely in Your Nightmare.
Lonely in Your Nightmare. This one was not well known at all. It's interesting that they chose to make two videos because they're very similar and it's kind of a lot of the same footage in a different order. But I always like this song again, you know, as a 13 year old girl who's like, I'm pretty sure I may never kiss a boy with my mushroom haircut and all that. <laughs> but um, the lonely in your nightmare, the whole idea of, hey, let me in, let me help you. I'm pretty sure there was a subtext for most of their songs, kind of like, you know, more than words by extreme, like, hey, baby, don't just tell me you love me. Why don't you show me? Because you're lonely in your nightmare, let me in And there's heat beneath your winter, let me in You know, I think oh, in yeah. this, oh, it yeah. might be... I don't know if he just really wants to be let into her nightmare to help her because <laughs> he just cares so much. There might be an ulterior motive. He just wants to feel the heat beneath her winter. He just wants to feel the <laughs> heat cold. beneath her I know. <laughs> A lot of Simon LeBond's lyrics, you're like, what is he saying there? What does that mean? Or, or you know what it means, but it's just such an in interesting way of phrasing it. But one of the lines I love is where he says, must be lucky well when you find the kind of wind that you need. It's just kind of like, what an interesting way to fit that into the song. You know, Simon was a poet. He really he was. He was an actor and he was a poet. And so his words just kind of fit into songs. I do think this video is interesting. There were obviously dream sequences and as he's kind of whispering in the girls sleeping, uh, there are cobras. Yes, you know? eight snakes. The video, it gave me uh, like the voodoo, sort of, it's like live and let die, the James Bond Very movie. much, yes. Uh, this is one of the ones that was, <laughs> if I was listening to my cassette. Not your favorite? No. Okay. Well, let's move on to maybe the tentpole of the album. Definitely the tentpole of the album. I've been waiting just for this song. Okay. Song number four. This song's called Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> This is the most Duraniest of all the Duran Duran Durans. <laughs> this is one of the great pop songs of the 80s. I'm spiking my football. It's top five. It is. I, I don't know if it's I'm top in. five, but it's, it's great. It is definitely one of the best. The uniqueness of the sound Nick Rhodes has created again on his synth with the guitar part in this. It's just a perfect mixture of synth pop, new wave, and rock. got Simon LeBond's lyrics that are so sexually suggestive and also so very, very fun. Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, do. <laughs> I love that this song, like in a day, it was done. Are you talking about the video now? The recording the song, oh, writing okay. it, putting the song together. They like show up at the recording, you know, they drink the night before. <laughs> Nick gets there first, he's yeah. hung over, and he starts playing around with his synthesizer, like, okay, we're here to work, let me do this. Simon comes in, kind of hears what he's doing, gets kind of interested in the process. Then, you know, you have the rest of the guys coming in by lunchtime, and they just, like, knocked it out in a day. I'm just thinking, being hung over... <laughs> And going to work, and then all of a sudden you're like, do 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 ding ding ding, ding. and all of a sudden like the lights shine. It's like the greatest song like, you've ever. Okay, I'm out of this now. Let's go. <laughs> let's do this. You know what this song was inspired by? It was inspired by Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, really? like Hungry Like the Wolf. Hungry yeah, Like sure. the Wolf. Oh, sure. Because Little Red Riding Hood was also sexually suggestive. Absolutely. What big. Eyes you have, yep. For the longest time, it bugged me that it was hungry like the wolf, rather yeah. than hungry like a wolf. 
And the whole time I'm like, this just doesn't really make Which a lot of sense. Which wolf are you talking about? I know so many wolves. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but when you said the word Red Riding Hood, I'm like, now we know which wolf we're talking it about. The big yes. bad one. So before we get to the video, this was featured in one of my all-time 80s guilty pleasure movies, Hot Dog the Movie, <laughs> which is a fantastic 80s movie. And it's before like they realized that soundtracks were a big deal. Right? Really? So they would just grab pop songs and throw yeah. them in there. So Hungry Like the Wolf was played in Hot Dog the Movie. And was it Hot Dog the Movie? Did they have the guy from American Werewolf? In yes. Oh my gosh. And oh, Shannon. David Naughton? David Naughton and Shannon Tweed. Oh yeah. Shannon in her Tweed. most That's Shannon Tweediness. Uh-huh. So. I actually did not see that one. There were plenty that I would apologize to my mom for watching, but I did not see that one. I didn't see well, that I love American Werewolf in London though. This one probably wouldn't have the same pull to you as it did probably to me not. and my buddies. Um, <laughs> Shannon Tweed pull. Pro- yes, oh, exactly. my Lord. Yes. So I want to play something for you guys. Okay. So the night version of Hungry Like the Wolf mm-hmm. is different than the album version. Only slightly. So towards the end of the song, you have this massive Roger Taylor drum fill. And it comes right after the heavy breathing part and the breakdown. And then it rolls right into several rounds of the chorus, and it's pop gold, okay? But there's a sound in the background on the album that has just kind of blended into the background over the time. I know you said your mom's going to listen to this, so I want to be really delicate here. But that noise that has always blended into the background for me is a woman having the big O, right? Yes. She's making her O face. She's making her O face. name Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> so the massive female orgasm sounds. Everybody well, know about that? The line is, okay. mouth is alive with juices like wine. What do you think that is? Well, I know what that means, but I didn't know that we're actually she's, getting the... She's giving you an example. Well, she was... There you go. All right, well, let's talk about the video then. This is one of the Sri Lanka videos. I love how the entire world is going to know that I don't recognize the sound of female orgasm. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it. It can be our little secret that That's, you didn't know. No, it's fine. Okay, let's talk about the video. Okay, so this is this is a video from the Sri Lanka video. Absolutely, right? and yes. we talked just a bit, but this is really the pinnacle of the Sri Lanka videos, right? Yes. I would say so, yeah. Yes. So the reason they went to Sri Lanka is because they call, had called back Russell Mulcahy, who had directed Planet Earth, and said, hey, we want to do another video and we want it to be like in the jungle and have exotic women and he's like i just went to sri lanka that's where we should go and so all of the guys except for nick rhodes and andy taylor went down to sri lanka and started filming well nick and andy are both still finishing up rio they're trying to get it all finished so they're working day and night so that they can get down there too andy goes down before nick does by the time nick gets down there he's been awake for like 37 hours straight. He gets there. He thinks, I'm going to get off the plane. They're going to take me to the hotel. I'm going to take a shower and things are going to be okay. Because he's still wearing the same like leather clothes right. that he's had on yep. for the last three days. He gets off. The guy picks him up at the airport and they drive for five and a half hours <laughs> into the jungle. With no AC. With no AC, bumping along the dirt, nasty, bumpy roads the entire time. And he was just like, this is, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? (laughs) That's hilarious. And then he comes down and the guys are playing in the water. (laughs) Simon describes Nick as the most urbane of the kind of the most refined. So Roger and Simon are having a ball. They're, you know, swimming. They don't mind the hot weather. They like kind of the adventure of it. But yeah, that wasn't really Nick's thing, so. I think it's funny that in this video, Simon has, like, orange hair. Did you see his hair? Oh, yeah. So he, he tried to bleach it. He went to somebody, wanted to add some blonde highlights before the video. She screwed up his hair. So that's why he's wearing Russell McKay's fedora through the whole thing. <laughs> you get some glimpses of it. It's very uh, messed up underneath, but I thought that was funny. Or it's wet, like the apocalypse now coming out of the water. It's kind of wet down where it doesn't, you can't tell. It's So this is, yeah, it's apocalypse now, but for that scene? 
but the yeah. whole thing is definitely Raiders of the it's Lost Raiders Ark. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Inspired. One of them described it as Indiana Jones trying to get laid. And Andy, <laughs> when they were down there, Andy Taylor, you know, they're fooling around in the water. He drinks some of the water and it gets a stomach virus thrown up the rest yeah, of Yeah, he had to go to the hospital. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Everything that I read doesn't always note this little tidbit, but he was possibly intoxicated and dancing on an elephant when he fell in the water. Is that right? Did you guys see that? And Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. There might, might have been possible. drugs in the water. <laughs> there might have been, but I, I can't really say. Yeah. So this little nugget that I'm about to share, it kind of goes for the chauffeur, but MTV was so new. Russell McKay, he was a frustrated director, right. wanted to make these little movies, and when he went to MTV, he showed him the video for the chauffeur, and they're like, we can't show this. Do something different. Do something exotic. Every video that we have so far, it's been shot in the same warehouse, doing the same crap. Go do something different. And so Russell McKay is like, great, we're going to Sri Lanka, and we're going to shoot jungle scenes and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all kinds of cool stuff. And these videos were awesome for MTV in the early days. And he had a great budget to work with, like $200,000. So that was huge for him. It's like, okay, I can't make the full-length feature films I want to make. I'm going to make little four-minute films, and they are going to be amazing. It is on several of the best videos of all time lists, and it won the Grammy for Best Short Form Music Video in 1984. Wow. Yeah, and that was the first one to ever win that award. So how cool is that for Russell Mulcahy to kind of have this window open up that you didn't expect and still get to do what you love? This was ranked by VH1 as the number three greatest song of the 80s. And by the way, this reached number three on the Hot 100, March 26, 1983. The two songs that were better than Hungry Like the Wolf. Number two, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? No, 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 no. Wrong. It was everywhere right then, though, right? It was everywhere. Okay. New romantic. I'm not accepting that answer. And then number one, Billie Jean. Can't argue with that. I mean, no. no. Okay. Define the 80s in three songs right there. That's pretty pretty stout. For sure. Once again, the girl at the beginning laughing. That's Cheryl. That's Nick Rhodes' girlfriend. Okay, guys. Are we done with Hungry Like the Wolf? I hate to be, but yes. Man. Such a good song. Okay. Last song on side one is a song called Hold Back the Rain. I love this one. I think this is a great song on this album. Talk about a band that defined the sound of the new wave 80s. I mean, that's it right there. Every song in this album is, well, that's 80s. That's 80s to its 80s-ness. They have a knack for writing great choruses, I think. Just sing-along stuff. And Nick Rhodes has a knack for doing some incredible stuff with the synth that gives it that very Duran Duran sound. One thing I loved about this album, this was kind of like Thriller. I just put it in and listened to the whole album. Almost all the songs have a hook in them, and everybody has some that are favorites more than others but this is one that just even though it didn't have a lot of widespread popularity it's just catchy it makes you happy it's upbeat one thing i thought was kind of interesting for john taylor he has kind of two tracks of the bass line and one that's overdubbed so that was kind of a challenge for him to figure out okay how am I going to do this live and make it sound and still have that sound one he was picking right yeah one he has to use a pick and then one's like yeah kind of little pops but I think it's interesting what this song is about and why it was written so John was doing drugs and drinking and living the excessive life of a 22 year old pop star and Simon felt like he was doing too much and staying out too late and hanging out with the wrong people. And so he wrote all these lyrics down, slid them under his door to kind of express how he was feeling. Has never heard one word from John about the warnings of the bad life. So they just made it a song and never talked about it. And then he went to rehab. 12 years later, he had to go to rehab. 12 years later, he went to rehab. If you look at the lyrics of the song, Simon was doing drugs and alcohol too, but it's like you're that much worse. Like, hey, I I really got to talk to John. He's got a problem here. (laughs) And if somebody is that 
frequently inebriated. Do you read this song and think, man, Simon's right. I've really got a problem. I've got, a, I've got I've, some issues to address in my life. I need to take a long, hard look at myself. John did say later in, oh, I think it was like 2003, 2004, that he looks back at this song and says that this is kind of what Duran Duran is all about. Here's the exact quote. Now when we play it, there's a feeling of that's what we do, you know? That song is what Duran Duran is all about. So I wonder if it's just musically or the friendship. There's that brotherhood. There's the musical talent they share. But anyway, I love this one. I think it's a great song. This is one of those something old is new for me. I, I was not familiar with this song before with this album. I, this is one that I was like, oh, this is good. I don't, I'm not familiar with this, but this is one of those hidden gems for me. Okay, cool. We'll hit stop on your tape player. Kick it out. Flip it over. Side two. Starting off side two, we have the song New Religion. This song's really cool, right? Very cool song. This is different than what we've heard on the album before. This is a way different sound. This is not a dance song. Talk about the two voices. Well, it's very thought-provoking, but yeah, you hear the choruses overlapping, both Simon and I, I'm not a music person. I don't know if you call it polyphonic, but it's kind of this conversation with himself. Why am I having these thoughts? Why does this evil follow me? And then kind of the faster chorus of the struggles, what's going on in his mind. But I love it because I think we can all identify with, you know, you picture on TV, somebody with an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And you've got these two voices in your head. And that's kind of what this song is. It's one of their most interesting songs, I think. And I love it. This song is covered by Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, and did, have you heard it? It's almost unrecognizable. Really? Yeah, I saw that and I thought, I'm going to play that. It's very slow. I don't think they cover all the lyrics, but yeah, they sing the middle, right? They sing the middle, I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, is this the same yeah. band? Yeah, I had no idea. I wondered how they were going to do it live when I saw them in 1984. I'm like, how can he do that? You know, he can't sing both parts. Right. Sometimes when they would perform it, John and Andy Taylor, one or both, would cover it. I'm pretty sure when I saw them in the 84 tour, they had backup singers that would do... Uh, one of the lines for him, chorus lines for him. You don't have a lot of guys in modern pop music in the 80s who are doing two different melodies, singing over the top of themselves with different lyrics that are difficult to understand. I mean, you best you, you basically have to go to the album in order to see what he's saying, which maybe that was his purpose. I mean, maybe he wanted you to go, what, what? I got to go look at this. So definitely unique. It's Musically, not something that I'm going to keep coming in my head or coming back to, but it is definitely unique. All right, moving on. This song is called Last Chance on the Stairway. Alright, so this is my least favorite song on the album. It's uh this one just didn't grab me very much. This is another this is like good for you off of Toto 4. This is like the montage scene in Karate Kid. Like this is the background music for some lover's distress or something like that. Uh yeah, it's not it, it is not one of my favorites either. Alyssa, are we hurting your feelings? No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I, I wouldn't say it is a favorite, but I do like it. But as a kid, I'd listen and be like, last chance for what? For a kiss? For more than that? But the, you read the lyrics and it's like, okay, there's a treble 
with this couple. Things aren't all good. And by last chance on the stairway, a lot of times when you're breaking up with someone, there's kind of this, you break up and they're going down your apartment stairs, a dorm, something like that. You have that last chance, this plea to kind of plea your case or see if you can work it out this time. I like that interpretation. I think that's probably it. One thing I like about this song also, I studied French in college, and there's one line where he says, just like a scene out of Voltaire, which Voltaire, French writings, just true romance is not attainable. Real love, people that really love you for who, who you are. But what I like about this is I like people writing lyrics that have read books. <laughs> yeah. That kind of, you know, they can do the bouncy, poppy stuff, but they can write lyrics that make you stop and think. But it, it has a little place in my heart. Good. I like Good. it. I got two little tidbits on this song, okay? So according to the book, Please Please Tell Me Now, which I read in preparation for this podcast, this song was written in California on their first tour of the U.S. And... There's a famous person name-checked in the lyrics on this song, and it's disguised, okay? Okay. It's Baby Buell. She's like world-famous groupie. She's been with Mick Jagger. She's been with Steven Tyler. In fact, Mm. uh, she's Liv Tyler's mother, right? Oh. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I know that name. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And she doesn't like the word groupie. She prefers the term muse. John Taylor dated her and wanted to produce her first hit album. And when he went to the studio executives and they're like, okay, she's beautiful. Can she sing? Minor detail. Apparently she can't sing. Didn't didn't work out. It's a shame. Yeah. Throwback to our Aerosmith episode where we talked about Baby Buell and Liv Tyler. Yes. Former Playmate, Centerfold, former guest of Many Beds of the Stars. And married to the guy who invented the graphic tablet. That's it. That's exactly right. Okay. Moving on to another tempo on the album. This song is called Save a Prayer. song is so good. I, I love this song. Beautiful lingers in your head. Just the music. And- it's great musically. The lyrics are great. The melody is great. There's nothing wrong with the song. Yeah. The song? Nick Rhodes does that cool little bender thing yeah. with the, the the synthesizer. It had a little bender key and so the boom, all that stuff. That's really cool. This has an interesting chart history to me. So it was released in the UK and Australia in August of 1982. Never released as a single in the United States until January of 1985, even though the video was all over MTV and a hugely popular video. Let's talk about the video for a second, okay? Another one of the Sri Lanka videos, they have this really cool scene of them on top of this like holy site. Mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka. They had to be airdropped to the top of that. And when they got there, Nick said it was screaming hot and so hot like their feet were burning. And when they finally got down, the monks who watch over this sacred site bawled them out for being offensive. Right. And they had to be barefoot out of respect for their religious significance. But I don't think the monks cared that they took their shoes off. That was still... <laughs> They were still mad, yeah. And I had read that actually while they're filming sometimes, instead of mouthing the lyrics, they're kind of F you Russell because I heard that they're too. on fire. But yeah, and it was kind of a scary time within the country when they were filming also kind of a tense verge of civil war. So to touch on that. Once they finished with these videos and left, Sri Lanka went into civil war. Literally, these videos are some of the last footage taken of the old Sri Lanka. Really? I didn't know that. While they were in Sri Lanka, uh, Britain invaded the Falklands. And so they had to be like picked up and removed from Sri Lanka. Should we talk about the elephant in the video? I think we should talk about the elephant. So they were riding on elephants, and the elephants started making this weird noise. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We should record that. That'll be funny. We'll play that. But, oh, wait. Where'd they, where'd they go? And the elephant has left with Roger 
on top. And they're like, oh my gosh, they, it, it turns out the sound was a mating call. <laughs> <laughs> and so the elephant went to make a booty call. <laughs> <laughs> Russell McKay, he wanted a elephant shower scene on the uh, back of the elephant. And it was funny because it was supposed to be a homoerotic element because these guys were such good looking guys and they wanted guys and girls to be turned on by watching this video. And so they had to fight over who was going to be sprayed by the elephant. Fight because they wanted it? No, fight because, because they, they didn't want it. So they fought about it and finally they're like, well, John, you're the heartthrob of the group. And he's like, you're right, fine, I'll do it. So that's why John gets sprayed with the elephant at the end. He says, I didn't care. I loved it. It's one of my most treasured memories. Okay, I got a great story for this. Okay, so after the video has come out, they're back at home in England. Nick Rhodes is at his house, and his mom comes to him. Nick is at his mom's house. He's probably still living there, heck. And she goes, hey, Nick, uh, you got a phone call. And he's like, okay, great, Mom. Who is it? She's like, oh, some guy named Michael. So he goes over, and he's like, hello? Michael Jackson on the phone. Yeah. Telling him how much he enjoyed the song Save a Prayer. Nice. Unbelievable. Can you imagine? <laughs> Pretty freaking cool. It's not as though he's not going to believe it's Michael Jackson when he hears the voice. <laughs> I know. Right, right. Mom! Come on, who is this really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although that did happen to Steve Lugather and Eddie Van Halen when Michael Jackson called them. Okay, last song on the album is called The Chauffeur. Okay, so this song is really unique. Yeah. It's not to my taste. I feel like at the beginning of the song, <laughs> I'm about to get killed by Jason Voorhees or something. <laughs> But there's some really interesting stuff behind this song that we should talk about. See, I think this is one of the best songs on the album. I love this song. Out on the top lanes, the glides are moving. Oh, looking for a new place to drive. It's just, it is different. The This is Nick Rhodes really showing his talent, in my opinion. Yes. Very synth-heavy. The creation of this song I find interesting. Nick and Simon were working on different songs at the time, but they would trade off. So when Nick got a break, he would work on this. And then when it was his turn to go in the studio, Simon would come in. Simon said, I was blown away by what he was doing. They built it together, piece by piece, brick by brick. It was kind of difficult for Nick Rose to sell this one. He said politically difficult to sell to everyone. And they actually later did another cover of it that ended up as a Rio B-side. And it's the only Duran Duran song where Nick doesn't play. So that was kind of like, okay, you kind of cut us out of this right. the first time. So we're going to come in with more instruments. But can you hear the little it's called ocarina do you know who's playing no simon lebon is playing and google it it's a little wind instrument that wow. sounds like you're at a little medieval fair or something it's shaped like a blow dryer but it's kind of like a kazoo or something yeah yeah fancy ceramic <laughs> kazoo I like this one. I think it's weird. I totally agree with D. Somebody's about to get murdered in this or something, but it's so eerie using odd sound effects. There's a lyric that says that aphids swarm up in the drifting haze. And at the end, if you listen, it sounds like cicadas or something. Yeah. They used a BBC there's... recording. They say grasshoppers, but I don't think it sounds like grasshoppers. Well, there, yeah, there's a story behind it. So they were at the library listening to records of insect noises. And so there's a narrator on this record. You're hearing the insect noises, but yeah. then the narrator is like, this is the greater spotted cricket lives in the trees and blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And he says, and then all of a sudden the guy's like, who's that speaking things? Who's that calling in the long, long grass and they're like oh that's funny we got to put that in the album wow so that's that's how that got there. i love that there is actually another sound effect where i think it's supposed to be like glass breaking yeah it's actually somebody dropping a piece of ice into water ice in a glass he says ice and water but it almost sounds yeah the lyric is what glass splinters 
lies so deep in your mind and just kind of putting those little touches. So I remembered this song before I came back to kind of review, but I'm like, oh, I don't think I, I would have remembered some of those little touches. Okay, so we talked last episode about how right before he met the guys for Duran Duran, Simon Laban had been down in Israel at a kibbutz being a tree surgeon, and he wrote the lyrics for this song in 78 while he was down there in Israel. That's that's where the lyrics for the song came from, was that experience. He had these lyrics in his pocket when he showed up to audition for Duran Duran. Yeah. He was wearing pink leopard pants at the time. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't, he they couldn't say that. no to that. <laughs> He's like, it's a good story, but that's not true. <laughs> you know, I was watching, Duran Duran was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen, and he asked all four of the guys that are still in Duran Duran, what's your favorite Duran Duran song? And Nick chose this one, which I wonder why he right. had such influence on it that he didn't even hesitate. That's cool. thought that was interesting. Okay, let's talk about the video. This is the only video that they're not in, right? Yes. The guys were on tour. They weren't in it. That's why I thought it was a fan-made video. Oh, yeah. So I'm watching it. It said official Duran Duran video. I'm watching it. They're not in it at all. Yeah. But you know who is in it? No. Naked ladies. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Well. Topless models in lingerie. D, do you want to take this from here? <laughs> uh, the, the video was directed by Ian Eames and was a black and white piece that was inspired by the film The Night Porter and the photographer, of, or excuse me, the photography of Helmut Newton. Yeah, I was reading and John Taylor kind of describes, he said, you know, with Rio, we've got the song Rio that's this pop, draw you in, but he's like, you finish with the chauffeur at the end of the album and it's pretty weird. It's kind of dark. So he's like, hopefully we can lead you down this path to get you to a point where you'll give the chauffeur a chance because it's definitely unusual Mm -hmm. and not widespread appeal. Just going back to what we touched on earlier, this was the video that gave us the Sri Lanka stuff because they went to MTV. They're like, hey, check out this video for the chauffeur. They're like, we cannot show this on MTV Give us something we can show. You don't like nipples? (laughs) (laughs) The American audience will not allow this in their house. Like, Melissa's mom barely let her watch MTV anyway. Cover your ears, mom, for this part. Back around the time I was first just really getting into Duran Duran, they had a documentary called, there was one called Blue Silver, one called Sing Blue Silver, and one was slightly shorter for MTV, like an hour, and and the other one was longer. But there's a lyric in the song that says, Sing Blue Silver. Simon read a book as a child about time travel, and it said, people who are coming back from a trip see blue silver. And so he uses that lyric, he would use that title. Okay, cool song. End of the album. Hit stop. It's time for final judgment. Okay, before we jump into our final judgment, we have our Shirley Showcase with our old friend, Mr. David Wright, a.k.a. Deaf Dave, coming in to weigh in on his opinion between Toto 4 and Duran Duran Rio. Hey guys, how you doing? This is David Wright, return of Deaf Dave to the Shirley Airwaves. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to give you a showcase take on Toto 4 versus Rio. This was definitely a trip outside of my comfort zone and outside of my personal experience when I was coming up through the 80s. One thing I love about your show is it really challenges us to not just look at the stuff that we liked back in the day, but to also dig a little deeper and and put aside our personal preferences and see if we can appreciate movies or albums on their own merits, even if it wasn't something we enjoyed at the time. And so that's exactly what I have to do with both of these albums. I mean, I have to keep in mind, not every act has the good fortune of being produced by Rick Rubin, and it just would not be fair for me to hold that against them. Now, of course, I am familiar with the pair of hits off each of these albums. All four of them are classic, all-time, huge monster hit singles, but I wasn't familiar with the album, so I dug deep, and I listened to both Toto 4 and Rio. One of the defining sounds of the decade was that of synth pop, and Duran Duran epitomizes that sound and this album in particular epitomizes Duran Duran so for the ultimate representation of synth pop of the 1980s 
this album really holds up as the central piece, the masterpiece. There's so much energy to every single one of these tracks. You can just feel it. It puts you right back in the time. These are the kings of the spiked mullets and the shoulder pad jackets and just multiple layers of keyboards everywhere you look. And of course, Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf are two of their absolute best. I wasn't familiar with any of the other songs before listening recently, but I found so many of them to be catchy and to be memorable. I really like the counter melodies on New Religion. I thought that was fantastic. And I really like the energy of The Chauffeur in particular. I thought both of those songs were great. If you want a collection of albums, all-time classic albums that you're able to listen to all the way straight through, top to bottom, and have it represent a significant part of the music scene of the 1980s, Rio has to be in that collection. I came away very surprised, pleasantly surprised by discovering how much I could really enjoy this album. And then there's Toto 4. Of course, I am very familiar with both Rosanna and Africa. Both of these songs are excellent, they're catchy, they're memorable, they're all-time classics. Hearing each of these always takes me back to the day when they were new. And for some reason, the song Africa sparked within me this romanticized, imagined version of Africa that just really seemed to paint this epic scene and an epic, majestic beauty in my mind of that continent, which is something pop culture I don't think has ever really been able to recapture about Africa, at least not until the Black Panther movie. Then I tried to listen to the rest of the album. These songs do absolutely nothing for me. They don't move the needle for me at all. They absolutely do not hold my attention. I cannot stay focused. My mind's always wondering. Every single one of them just disappear into the background. Look, I'll say this about them. They are very competent musicians. They are on this record doing musician-y things. I would not say that they don't know how to play or anything like that. Of course they can. But do they have charisma? Do they have a persona? Do they have an identity? Do they have any kind of star power at all that can just capture your attention? For me, that's a big no. So one thing I love about your show is how you continually find all these little nuggets of trivia that blow my mind. And one thing I did not know, maybe I should have, is that the band Toto largely made up the session players that were involved in the recording of Thriller. I didn't know that. And now look, Thriller is the best-selling album of all time. It has now passed over 70 million copies sold. And that's something that 100 men or more could never do. But these guys are session musicians. That's what they are. They're really good musicians. They can probably play a variety of styles, but they also lack that star power. I guess even fans of Poco need something to listen to. Maybe they should have gotten Quincy Jones to produce for them, add a few hiccups and moonwalks, go on a date with Brooke Shields, and then maybe they'd be the choice of a new generation. So guys, this is an easy call for me. You got the bland, empty yacht rock of a competent studio act, and then you've got the epitome of 80s synth pop at the top of their game with Duran Duran. When choosing between these two bands, Duran Duran is my easy choice. Then again, that might just be a reflex answer. So, to give you my final judgment of these albums from 1982, it goes like this. In the top spot, Thriller, then Rio, and then Toto 4. Alright, that's going to do it for me, guys. I'm out of here. So, my name is Def Dave on Twitter. I want all those Toto fans out there to at me. Let me know how I got it wrong. But, don't send the tweet to me now. Save it till the morning after. That's it for me, guys. I got to go dance on the sand and bless the rains down in Africa. Somebody at me. Wakanda forever. Dave coming in hot for Duran Duran right there. Yeah, that wasn't even a maybe. <laughs> that was There was no waffling. We have communicated with him a little bit, and he has indicated that we moved the needle a little bit for him, but it, it, was, it was still a no-brainer for him. He's picking Duran Duran. Slam dunk for Duran Duran. Yeah. Okay. So, so that brings us to our own final judgment. Right. Ladies first. Okay, well, Jason thought I'd be a shoo-in for Duran Duran, and I am. I'm going to have to pick Duran Duran, but I have to say, after listening and knowing more about Toto, their history, I can't believe Michael McDonald was almost a part of Toto. You moved the needle more than a little for me, and I like them, but yeah, I'm Duran Duran, all the way. I'm a Durani. Awesome. You awesome. don't have a Toto 4 shirt yet. But. I don't. I don't. They were never on my wall, Toto, no. but that's okay. You didn't have one of them picked out as your favorite who would no. <laughs> spot no, the no, diamond in the rough. Yes. No, no. The only one I knew by name was Bobby Kimball, and he was definitely not on my wall. You're not into heavy set guys who do a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Look a little bit like Mario from Mario Brothers. <laughs> not so much. Not so much. All right, D, you're up. Okay. I love this album. I love Duran Duran. Rio, it is 
iconic. It defines the 80s. It was a huge part of my experience growing up. Probably in this time period, I would have easily picked Duran Duran Rio as my favorite out of these two albums. But having grown up, I have changed my position on this. Wow. By looking at Toto in detail, in Toto, if you will. Yes. <laughs> I was really impressed with them and... Like you say frequently, if I'm running out the door and I'm picking one of these CDs to throw in the CD player to listen to on the car trip, it's going to be Toto 4 for me every single time. I will say this. I was more impressed in the musical ability of Duran Duran than I thought I was going to be. The complicated bass lines that John Taylor was doing, yes, it was something that he had to do two parts in the studio and then figure out it, but even those two parts were complicated. The sounds of Nick Rhodes, intricate, delicate, New Wave, I mean, it defines the 80s. But to me, I'm an old school rock and roll guy, and Toto's influences are more like my influences. Their music is still amazing. They're faultless musicians, and I prefer the sound of real guitars to the sound of synthesizers. And so for me, it's going to be Toto 4 all day long. You get a song with a billion point one downloads. I, I got to have some people on my side on this one. So for me, it's got to be Toto 4. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. Before I give my final judgment, I'm going to put you guys on the spot real quick. Okay. Favorite Duran Duran song? Go. Girls on Film. Wow. Okay. The Reflex. Reflex? Yeah. Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Yes. This is interesting. So you took one not on Rio. Mm -hmm. You took one not on Rio. Yep. Mark me down for Ordinary World. Oh, wow. That's three songs not on Rio. Right. But Rio is clearly my favorite Duran Duran album. Yeah. yeah. I would say I would say as a whole, like if you talk about the whole catalog, I'm going to pick Duran Duran over Toto. Like Toto's got four and it's got a couple of other songs. Right. Duran Duran has some great stuff spanning several decades. So yeah. Yeah. Overall catalog, I, I would say, yeah, Duran Duran's the winner. Okay. So here, here's where I am on this one. Okay. So the peaks of Toto 4 are so good. You got Africa, you got Rosanna, you got I Won't Hold You Back, I Love Make Believe. But for me, the war is fought in the trenches on the other songs, right? Duran Duran's Rio, you've got Rio, you've got Hunger Like the Wolf, you've got Save a Prayer, you've got The, the Chauffeur. But for me, it's the other songs in Rio that make it better than Toto 4. Song to song, across the board, I'm slamming the football, Rio, Duran Duran, mark me down. Wow. So Rio wins by a landslide for us four. We got three votes for Rio. I'm all over here by myself. But <laughs> I will say this. we It's important to know, we mentioned this last in our last episode, Duran Duran is about to get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they are beating, at, like there's a fan vote component, right? And it's a hard-fought competition. And they, Eminem was ahead of them. And they are now ahead and not only are they ahead, but they've like flown ahead. There are over 100,000 votes ahead of him. And so there is a big contingent out there of Duran Duran fans who are rocking the vote, if you will. But I will say this. On Spotify, Duran Duran <laughs> monthly listeners has 6.5 million people. Toto, 13 million. It's incredible. So really? I'll take your three votes against my one vote because I got some others on my side. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to hear from you guys. Did we get it right? Where do you come down? Toto 4 versus Duran Duran's Rio album, both turning 40 years old this year. Thanks, guys. Be sure and hit that follow button on your podcast app. Please, if you love our stuff, Melissa now knows the time consumption that's involved when we make one of these episodes. And we do it all for free. But if you want to contribute to our podcast, you can do that by going to Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Shirley Podcast, and you can help us with a monthly donation of from five to something like a hundred bucks a month. And there are prizes and fun that come along with that as well. So please support the podcast if you can. And if not, leave us a review. If you can put a review that mentions the words dancing in the sand or reflex, we will put you in a contest to win a custom engraved cup with Shirley Podcast in your name. 
And we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Melissa, thanks for being here today. Thank you guys so much for having me. Next time I'll do my British accent for you. <laughs> <laughs> it needs some practice. I was really disappointed we didn't get a little more Francais. You still Je suis désolé. Oh, Je I love suis it. All right. Hey, before we go away, next week we are diving in. We're starting our four-parter, movie to movie, album to album. We're doing Saturday Night Fever versus Dirty Dancing, movie to movie. Yes. And Saturday Night Fever versus Dirty Dancing, soundtrack to soundtrack. That sounds like a mammoth undertaking. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) All right. See you guys. Bye, guys.